There is a phrase from a great psychiatrist um, by the name of Viktor Frankl that I am uh, repeating constantly. Uh, and the phrase is this. The ultimate human freedom is the ability to choose the attitude that you will have towards your experiences. And think about that. The greatest and actually most profound of all human freedoms is the ability to choose the attitude that you will have towards your experiences and ultimately, especially, to your suffering. Now, why am I saying that <clears throat> at the beginning? Because today, the gospel gives us a reading that <clears throat> is meant to challenge the way we see our experiences. And they, the, the, the gospel is using the way, the, the verb to see in a way of saying the way you interpret, the way you look at things. Listen to this from, from the gospel. <clears throat> As Jesus was pa passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, listen to what his disciples say next. Rabbi, who sinned that this man be born blind? Was it he or his parents? Now, you have to know where that comes from. That comes from an old a Jewish understanding that when anything evil happened to you, it must have been because you did something wrong. Um, because it was understood that God always blessed the people who were good and he punished people who were evil. And so if you had anything wrong with you physically, that meant that somebody had sinned and in the Old Testament it used to be understood that you would be punished for several generations. That's why the apostles uh, are asking, who sinned? Was it he or his parents? And Jesus, and by the way, this was a common thing in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, if you uh, focus on the book of Job, the book of Job is an entire book based on the question, is that really true? Is it really true that God only punishes the evildoers? Because in the book of Job, Job is a just man, and he loses everything. And the entire book of Job is three of his friends come and try to get him to admit that something he had done, that this was a punishment for something he had done. And Job keeps saying, no, I did not do anything wrong. I did not commit any sins. And he's even you know, going to God and saying, let's go to trial because I did not do anything wrong. And at the very end, um, 
God shows up and says, and condemns the three friends, and he absolves Job of any wrongdoing. And so that whole book is a question on this thing that a lot of his, the Jewish people believe, that only bad things happen to bad people and only good things happen to good people. But anyway, that's where this thing comes from. Who sinned that this man be born blind? Now, Jesus gives an interesting answer. He says, no, um, neither he nor his parents it is so that the works of God might be made visible through him. Now, what's going to happen, and the reason I started with Viktor Frankl in the, the Ultimate Human Freedom, is that blindness in, in the Gospel of John is meant to, to be able to, I mean, to be interpreted as spiritual blindness. He's not talking about physical blindness here. The, 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 the ultimate thing that's going to happen is that the people who claim that they can see, which is the Pharisees and the scribes, are the ones who ultimately turn out to be blind. And the person who is blind turns out to be the one who can see. And that's the whole point of, of this parable. Not, it's not a parable, it's an actual occurrence of Jesus. Now, in all of this, you have to remember that Jesus does not seem to give a lot of priority to the physical part of humanity. He, he does give some priority, but do you remember the scene, the gospel scene, where the, the paralytic was brought down by the, from the roof and they bring him down. And the paralytic obviously wants to be healed. He wants to be able to walk, right? Do you remember when they finally get the, the cot down to eye level with Jesus? Do you remember what Jesus says to him first? Most of us don't remember exactly what he said. But when Jesus, when see, when Jesus sees this paralytic man who wants to be healed, he turns to the paralytic man and he says, your sins are forgiven. Now you can imagine how the paralytic felt, okay? You can think, oh, that's nice, but I really wanted to be able to walk, okay? But notice Jesus' priority. The priority of Jesus is not the sickness of the body. He's looking straight into the man's heart. And then Jesus turns to the scribes and Pharisees who are standing there, and he's because they're doubting, he's saying, Who's supposed who can forgive sins? Only God. And Jesus says, So that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on this earth to forgive sins. Then he turns to the paralyzed man and he says, Which is easier? To say, Your sins are forgiven, or take up your mat and walk? And of course, we know it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because you can't see anything. But then Jesus said, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, get up, pick up your mat and go. And the man does that. But the point here I want you to note is, what was Jesus' first priority? His first priority was not what the man wanted. He showed priority to what was important 
and that was the man's heart. Now, in this situation with the blind man, the same thing's going to happen. Jesus is not healing him so that the man can see. He is, notice that he, that he says he is allowed to be blind so that God's work may be shown through him. And what is God's work? That the blind actually see what's important and those who see are remaining in sin. That's the work that Jesus is, is, is accomplishing here. And so Jesus proceeds and he says to the man, when he had said this, Jesus spits on the ground and makes saliva. And then he takes the saliva and puts it on the man's eyes. And then he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. He went, washed, and came back able to see. Now the first thing you got to remember here is this. Jesus does not do anything just because he wants to do it. Everything that Jesus does has a meaning. Now the question that I would invite you to think through is this. Why did he have to create mud? Do you remember the, 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 the centurion who said to him that my child is sick, come and, and hail him, please? Jesus says to him, go home. Go home. Your child will live. And the centurion goes back home, and he finds out that the child began to get got better the moment when Jesus was talking about him. So you know <clears throat> that Jesus doesn't have to go through any hocus-pocus, you know, of doing anything to get to, to do a miracle. He doesn't have to. He can he even told I always get a kick out of the, the, the one that when Jesus is on the boat and the, the storm is going and the three apostles are going thinking they're gonna drown and Jesus stands up. He doesn't do a I, I mean a a, a dance, a, a magic dance or anything like that. Jesus stands up, looks at the winds and the rain and he says, Oh stop it. And he goes <laughs> it stops. No incantation, no nothing. So now, why is he making mud? <clears throat> it's interesting, because what Jesus was doing here, he was doing something that the scribes and the Pharisees and most Jewish people had in their minds front and center. And here is the point. Remember, the Jewish people at that time had nothing to read except and most of them couldn't read. Well, the only thing they ever heard read was no other literature but the scriptures and the sermons of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, the scribes and Pharisees had a tradition. And the tradition is that when God made man, the Bible says he made him out of the earth. He made man out of the earth. Well, the scribes and Pharisees had a tradition that you can't make a human any kind of form out of dry dust. So their tradition was that God spit on the ground in order to make clay, in order to make a man in the, in, in the tradition. And so what Jesus is doing, and the, every Jew that was there could see it, 
Jesus was doing was imitating God the Father. Why? Because Jesus is beginning the, the introduction of the new creation. And in the new creation, he is reversing the, uh, the aspects, the, the, the problem of original sin. And so he is doing exactly what God did in terms of recreating, in, in recreating the man. Now remember this, too. It is super important for us to understand that this man was born blind. The blindness here is also a, a spiritual blindness. Because think about it. Every single one of us is born blind. We're not born blind physically. But the human being is born blind, totally disconnected from his or her identity. The, when you have an original sin, the sin at the origin, that moment that we were disconnected from God, notice what is the first symptom. The first symptom is nakedness. What does that mean? When Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were perfectly happy, and then they look down and they see we're naked. The very first thing that happens. Now, the, the, the thing that happens next is, the most, to me, one of the most interesting parts of Genesis. God is pictured walking in the garden. And I say this often because I, I just get such a kick out of it. God is pictured in the garden walking, and he says, Adam, Eve, where are you? And Adam and Eve said, we were naked, and so he, we hid. Do you remember what God says next? God said, who told you you were naked? Now just think about that. When you're in the shower, do you need anybody to tell you you're naked? Why in God's green earth does he ask them, who told you you were naked? Because the concept of nakedness had, did not exist in creation. And I, I find it tremendously interesting that we, animals that we are, which are part animal, we are the only ones who wear clothes. Go home to your dog and say, you're naked. You're fish, you're cat. Not a single animal. This has the concept of nakedness. Why do we? Then it just, just for you to think about that. And, and so, why? And it's because we have become disconnected. We are, we are disconnected in a three-way disconnect. We're disconnected from God, we're disconnected from each other, and we're disconnected from ourselves. We don't know who we are. We don't know who God is. We don't know each other. We're constantly knocking around on each other. We don't know ourselves. God only knows. Look at the news these days. Men who don't know themselves. Oh, I think I'm a girl. No, I think I'm a guy. You know, all, all kinds of stuff like this. People going all around trying to find an identity. Why? Are we the only animal that has identity crisis? I have a dog. He does not seem to have an identity crisis. I've never met a dog who had an identity crisis. Why do we? Why do we? And the reason is, we're disconnected. And that's what's happening. 
We're, it's happening in the gospel, and Jesus sees it. And Jesus is about to reconnect this guy. And so he heals him. Watch the reactions. People are confused. They don't know what the, who, who can heal this man? How, can, how did he? And then the Pharisees come in. And the Pharisees are totally confused. They, and, and they say, now notice what they say. You know what? This man is a sinner. Why? Why do they know this man is a sinner? You know why? Because he did it on the Sabbath. Now, get that. A man born from blind is cured, cured totally and can see. And they focus on the fact that he did it on the Sabbath. And what it tells you is that they are already committed to the outcome of blindness. You see, a lot of times, and this happens to us today, when you, when you start living a Christian life, living it, not just going to church, living a Christian life, when you start living a Christian life, you're going to notice that there's a lot of people who are committed to you staying blind. Because we've built economies on it, we have built relationships on blindness, we have built all kinds of stuff. And the moment you start to see, you destabilize, you destabilize a lot of structures, both in family and in government and in society, you destabilize structures that are built based on the blindness. And people don't like that. Ultimately, it's going to get Jesus crucified. They didn't like it that much that he was destabilizing the relationships with the Romans and with them being head of the head of the, of the sacrificial system. They've come to the conclusion that the man, that Jesus is a sinner. And, and they, don't, they throw the man out. They throw the man out. Now the man comes back and Jesus looks, at, looks for him and he, sa and he says to him, look at the very end. Look at the very end. And they said, um, this is a long gospel. When they had thrown him out, he found him and say, Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Just Jesus asking him. And the man, he's, the man is just such a, an authentic human being. The man says, who is he that I may, that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, Jesus says, the one who is speaking to you is he. And then notice what happens next. The man, the, the man said, I do believe, and then he calls him Lord. And then it says, so that it, he knelt down and worshiped him. Here is the final kicker. Jesus said, listen to this. I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see might see and those who do see might become blind. Who's he talking about? It's Pharisees. Notice what Jesus' priorities are. Jesus' priorities are inward sight. Now, why did I begin with Victor Frankl, because the Pharisees are choosing an attitude towards their experience. Notice it. 
The Pharisees are so committed to their way of structuring reality that they refuse to interpret it no matter what the evidence is shown. And the man who is looks like he's the most reject of all, this poor beggar blind man, is open to being able to see. But what does he see? He's not seeing physical reality. He's seeing the Lord. Folks, that's what this is all about. This Lenten season is all about changing the way you interpret life, changing the way you see life. And ultimately, we have to be careful ourselves because there may be a tremendous amount that you have already built up based on your own blindness. And sometimes it, get, it takes a lot of courage to begin to be able to see. One last example. Do you remember St. Francis of Assisi? The son who was able to inherit all the stuff his father was going to make because he was a rich merchant. Remember what Francis of Assisi had to do? When he was confronted by his father and all the riches he was supposed to inherit, Francis took off all his clothes and he said, there you go. Why? Because even though there was a lot built on blindness, he chose the true sight. I think it's important that we be honest with ourselves. How much of our own lives are built based on the blindness that we all have?